Welcome to Nigerian American. My name is LD. This is my podcast. So a couple of weeks ago, I flew out to LA on a business trip. And um, while I was out there, I received a message from a good friend of mine who hinted that a music industry colleague um, was also out in L.A. and that it may be a good idea to link up with him for a face to face catch up and possibly record content for my podcast. The colleague he spoke of is one that I have expressed many times as someone I admire and respect for many reasons. He's not only easily my favorite rapper out of Africa. He may actually be one of the most intelligent artists that I know. I first learned about M.I. from a mutual friend by the name Banky Ojutalayo, not to be confused with another mutual friend and one of my favorite people, Banky W. Um, and coincidentally, I also learned from M.I. recently that he also first learned about me from Banky Ojutalayo. It's kind of interesting. Um, but M.I. and I have had some really interesting conversations. So every time we're in a room together, I'm reminded about why I appreciate his musical genius. Um, we've always had great, memorable conversations. So when I heard he was in LA, I sent him a WhatsApp message and we decided to meet up in Beverly Hills the night before I was scheduled to return to Atlanta. Now, LA is a place that I'm deeply in love with. My wife and I have even considered L.A. as a possible retirement destination. If you've been to L.A., it's easy to understand why. Anyway, when I visit L.A. on business, I stay around Agora Hills and Calabasas um, to be close to our offices in nearby Thousand Oaks. I'd rather be in the city, but it's about a 45 minute drive and I hate long morning commutes. I hate it. I hate the traffic. Um, I also happen to have my friends who live in Calabasas, who I hang out with whenever I'm out there. And I, I love to drive through the Topanga and Malibu canyons on my way to central L.A. I especially enjoy the downhill ride through the canyons onto the Pacific Coastal Highway by the beach in Santa Monica. It's truly breathtaking. Next time you're in L.A., find time to take that drive. Thank me later. On the night that I was scheduled to meet with MI, I was with my cousin Femi, who was visiting from Nigeria, and a couple of my good friends who live in LA. So we all decided to drive down to Beverly Hills together for the meeting. The plan was for me to drag MI to a quiet corner, mic him up, and just catch up on tape. I planned to talk to him about a bunch of different topics, including his experience as a groundbreaking African artist, his early influences, you know, pretty much anything juicy that I could get out of him, which could be relevant in future episodes of Nigerian American. We got to the hotel, I mic'd them up, and right after we exchanged pleasantries, we began recording as planned. Unfortunately, we couldn't find anywhere quiet enough, and I didn't want to be rude to both his guests and mine, so both of us sat together in one corner of the room and hoped that technology would somehow prevail by giving us loud enough lavalier mic audio and some noise reduction. As we got started, he told me about the reason for his visit to LA. He was visiting for some events related to his ambassadorship with the cognac brand Martel. That was interesting to me because we were also both Hennessy ambassadors about six or seven years ago. And it brought back 
fun memories of our trip to Chateau de Bagnolet, the prestigious guest house of Hennessy. It's located in Cognac, a small city about 250 miles southwest of Paris. And as Hennessy ambassadors that year, Tiwa Savage, Banky W, MI, his brother Jesse Jags, and I, we were all hosted at the Chateau and given exclusive tours of the Hennessy vineyards, the distilleries, and, you know, a whole bunch of other cool stuff. Anyway, my conversation with MI continued, and I asked about his earlier music influences and his first interaction with hip hop. So, I mean, there's, there's a song I give a lot of credit to for teaching me to understand what raps were, and that's Pretty Engineer, uh, Monica. Right. Monica, 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 Monica. If Monica no kill me, I no go die again. This guy love. I, 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 I carry Monica, go for one party. She can't leave me, the dance with big daddy. She jump up, she jump down. She jump sideways. She can't kick the old man, come off on stage. So, um, um, so that was like your, that was yeah, like your. But, it, but then it was just rap music. So right. when, when you explain to people about hip hop, hip hop is, is not just the fact that you're rapping. It's the attitude and the culture behind it. Right. And the first time that I, I really got that was from a classmate of mine in, in secondary school. First, like first week of secondary school. Mm-hmm. And he's doing me a heavy D rap. Um, I think it's Let It Rain. Honey, pop the umbrella. Yeah, that, that yeah, verse. So it goes down smooth like I'm a red eye. Yeah, and he, the way he was like doing it, I was like, because I'm a pastor's kid, right? I grew up, you know, listening to gospel music only. So I was like, what is this thing? And then over the next few years, at this time, uh, people are getting Tribe Called Quest. They're getting the Wu-Tang, you know, early M-E-T-H-O-D, like <laughs> all that. You know, and a lot of my seniors in secondary school are doing this stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, I was already messing with keyboards and music. And like two two years, my, my second year, mm-hmm. a f- bunch of friends and I, we wrote a rap song. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit's in the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we performed it. And yeah, what's going on? It's a chocolate bar for $350. Like a little square bar, like the Snickers, like the, uh-huh. two, like those little yeah. $2 things. $350. It's $350 on this show, because the show says Secret Lives of the Super Rich. So they yeah. buy chocolate bars for like $350. $350 for a chocolate bar. Chocolate fucking bar. Yeah, they just showed $2,000. Wow. As you'll notice, it was really noisy in the background. You know, I thought my mics were sophisticated enough to keep a lot of the noise out, but as you'll hear, that wasn't quite the case. It also didn't help that we were being interrupted by some of our friends in the room. At this point, it was beginning to feel like our podcast was not going to happen as planned, but we kept going. I figured that whatever conversation we ended up having, um, just us or with the rest of our friends, I imagine would still be interesting. So we, I just kept rolling. If, if, if I'm the pick, yes, if I'm the pick, right, I'll say there are three things singers should be divided into. Maybe this will help frame our conversation now, right? Number one is power. Two is the actual voice. And number three is technique. Somehow, we got back to M.I. and his music influences and got talking about rap, you know, singing and vocalists. That part of the conversation was also interrupted a few times with suggestions about singers and, you know, the difference between technical ability and the gift of natural vocals and all that kind of stuff. Um, and really, that conversation is worth an episode on its own. Anyway, am I give an example of a group he thought was comprised of amazing singers. 
one of the best collection of singers is this group called Pentatonics. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. They are... I don't even know I who that is. Yo, an acapella group. They do acapella. Yeah. Yo, pro. Like, mm-hmm. so I listened to them. I was like, ah, I, I was telling the person I was watching. I was like, yeah, amazing. But listen to Boys to Men. I went and started playing like Boys to Men, acapella, and compared it back. And I was like, yo, these guys, these pentatonic yeah, guys. Yeah, they're not. And they have such a different range of voices. The girl, there's the guy that has a very light voice. And then there's, in fact, the four of them, the black guy does the, like, like the, he's Nigerian also. But he does, yeah, he is. But he does, all Nigerian parents, okay. you know. But he has Nigerian name. Nigerian. Yeah. But um, he that's does a, like the drum, the beatboxing. That's an interesting thing when you say the Nigerian, yeah, or actually he has Nigerian parents. Yeah. Because, because, because you see Nigerians say that now. Oh, my parents are Nigerian. My parents right. are Nigerian. Right. So and I don't want to be like, oh, claiming yeah. he's like, oh, no, my dad was. We'll be back after a quick break. We'll be right back. Yeah. This is when the conversation got really interesting. Am I describing one of the members of the group Pentatonics said he's Nigerian or well he has Nigerian parents. And am I was right. I also do hear a lot of that these days. I'm a first generation immigrant of the United States. I was born in another country and I moved to the US. When people ask me where I'm from, I typically would say Nigeria. If you ask my children where they're from, however, they're more than likely going to say they're from the United States. The member of the Pentatonics that MI was speaking of is Kevin Olushala. Kevin was born and raised in the US to a Nigerian father and a Grenadian mother, which to me makes him American. I hear Nigerians getting bent out of shape by the fact that people like Kevin identify as American. They argue that him being qualified as American leads to a loss of his Nigerian heritage and identity. If you ask someone like Kevin, however, He would probably tell you that he has lived in America all of his life, maybe never even been to Nigeria, and that's why he identifies as American. This is where he was born and raised, and this is all he knows. And if you wondered about his name, he would then probably add that his father is from Nigeria. Hence, my parents are Nigerian. The comment that MI made earlier. Which again is MI respectfully qualifying Kevin as he imagined someone like Kevin would prefer. I know most people have very strong opinions about this, but I want you all to please put sentiments aside and try to understand the logic that is being applied here. Take Donald Trump for instance, the 45th president of the United States. His grandfather, Frederick Trump, migrated to the US from Germany at the age of 16. He was German or German-American as he'd probably be identified by today's standards. Donald Trump's father Fred was born in the United States. He is considered American, and so is his son Donald, who is the current president of the US. Now here's a question. Should Germans be upset about the fact that Donald's father Fred didn't identify as German even though he was birthed by a German immigrant in the US? Does it matter what nationality your parents claim if you were born and raised as an American? If your parents migrate from India to Nigeria and you were born and raised in Nigeria, aren't you Nigerian? What actually qualifies a person as a citizen of a country? Is it their skin color? Is it race? Is it ethnicity? And this brings me back to something I mentioned in the last episode, which is that Every human being is a product 
of his or her experiences. We are all a product of our individual and collective experiences, and it is what shapes who we are and how we view the world. If you've lived in Nigeria and you've had the Nigerian experience for most of your life, you're Nigerian. If you've lived in the U.S. for most of your life, you're American. Generally speaking, your most dominant experiences in life is what defines who you are. It is what determines your language and the way you speak, the food you eat, the way you dress, the things you consider important, your religion, and your overall culture. It is who you are. Kevin Olushala is as American as Fred or Donald Trump. So I agree with MI's polite qualification of Kevin as having a Nigerian parent. The reason my podcast is titled Nigerian American is because I spent half of my life in Nigeria and the other half in the U.S. I'm a citizen of both countries and I've enjoyed the privilege of both experiences, shaping my perception of the world and encouraging the biases that make me who I am today. When I speak, you hear the perspective of a Nigerian and an American, hence Nigerian American. Now, I must say that my title is not in any way intended to encourage nor perpetuate what most prefixes to the name American are intended to. Frankly, I'm not a fan of those prefixes at all. African American, Native American, Asian American, etc. And what they're intended to mean. I've found it to be a divisive mechanism, and it's really silly. If you're a citizen of the United States, it shouldn't matter where your parents came from originally, especially because those prefixes are usually only used to describe non-white Americans. I believe everyone other than the natives that originally inhabited this land is an immigrant. The prefixes somehow suggest that some people are not fully American or that some people are more American than others. Nobody calls Donald Trump German-American, so I really don't see why even Barack Obama needs to be called African-American. Doesn't make sense to me. They're both descendants of immigrants from another country. They're both simply American. Anyway, as I continue to express some thoughts on the current topic, I mentioned that I believe in globalization, not for capital or economic reasons, which is its biggest motivation at this time in history, but for all of the world's diverse cultures and experiences to become more and more accessible and blended together. This caused a few murmurs in the room and eventually most people in the room disagreed. I think as the world becomes more global and as things start to sort of you know, merge and mesh and blend in and we're creating like a new breed of human beings where you can't even really say again that somebody is like Niger or somebody is Ghanaian because all the experiences are beginning to blend. Is mm. that a good thing? The culture? You, you miss the it's culture? I think, I think it's a I good think thing. It's a good thing. Yeah, because there, there, there's, you know, when you have that blend of culture, I mean, it's dangerous. What is left there's a good part and there's a bad part. What's the bad part? The bad part is you lose the individuality and the authenticity that you have. There were basically two positions. Here's position one. Some folks in the room believe that culture should be preserved as much as possible in its original state in order to maintain its uniqueness and identity. They believe that mainstream culture isn't authentic 
because it's a mishmash of various world cultures, and they're worried that it will eventually consume all the unique cultures of the world. They believe it is dangerous for cultures to blend or become diluted, and that it shouldn't be encouraged. Here is my position, the second position, which MI also agreed with. I believe that culture should be allowed and encouraged to evolve as necessary. As a matter of fact, culture is already constantly evolving. Culture evolves as we learn and adapt to new ideas, new technologies, and new inspiration. I believe that what we identify today as Yoruba culture is a mishmash of elements from various cultures over many generations, and it will be different in another 50 to 100 years. It has evolved from what it was just a century ago, which I'm sure is also different from what it was two centuries ago. Who's to even say that what we consider Yoruba culture today is even up to two centuries old? Now, in order to level set, I need to give the definition of culture. I think there was some confusion about this during the discussion as well. Wikipedia defines culture as the social behavior and norms found in human societies. Culture may also be defined as a set of customs, traditions, and values of a society or community, typically an ethnic group or nation. Culture is also defined as the set of knowledge acquired over time. In this sense, multiculturalism values the peaceful coexistence and mutual respect between different cultures inhabiting the same planet. Now, I believe in multiculturalism, but I'll take it a step further to say that while we have mutual respect for cultures on, on the planet, we should also seek common ground and encourage the blending of cultures in order to get to where I believe we may eventually find true peace and harmony as a species. Basically, what I'm saying is this. While I sincerely appreciate uniqueness and cultural diversity, I wish the entire planet would be more multicultural, accepting and accommodating of other groups and learning to find commonality rather than difference. And by other groups, I mean everything from race to class to religion, to nationality, ethnicity, tribe, sexual orientation, sexual preference to ideology. All of the things that constitute culture and essentially all of the things that keep us divided. I believe that our inability to see one another as human beings first before anything else is what hinders our pursuit of equality. If you believe strongly in your group, your ideology, tribe, religion, tradition, or, or your culture in general, that you're willing to do whatever it takes to preserve it, you're really no different from Hitler or any other racist groups because that is the basic foundation of most of their campaigns. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you shouldn't be proud of your culture or your heritage. What I'm suggesting here is that the minute you become obsessed with cultural preservation in ways that prevents cultural evolution, you have begun to thread the same path that led to extremes such as Nazis versus Jews, Hutus versus Tutsis, Hausa versus Igbo, white versus black. 
a less extreme but equally horrible version of the same biases and prejudices is what leads to, you know, the racist white man who doesn't want his daughter to marry a black man, the Yoruba mother who doesn't want her son to marry an Igbo girl, the Jewish brother who doesn't want his sister to date Italians, the straight person who wants to believe that being gay is some kind of mental disorder, the rich person who thinks poverty is only a result of laziness. We've all been conditioned to hold on to many of these biases and prejudices because of the groups we belong to. It's almost as if each group's survival actually depends on the denigration or even elimination of other competing groups. It's the only way to explain how a normal human being has the ability to condone the idea of killing a fellow human simply because he wears a different hat than you has different skin color, carries a different flag, or believes in a different god. I believe the attempts to stifle multicultural evolution typically spawns evil. This may actually be the single most influential cause of the loss of human life throughout the history of the human species. The divisive campaign that led to Brexit in the UK Donald Trump's presidency in the US and many more separatist campaigns across the globe are all born out of the need for the preservation of specific groups, interests or ideologies. It is an attempt by certain groups to suppress cultural evolution. I know it may be a little difficult to put in the same box or be seen as one and the same thing, but if you believe strongly in the preservation of cultures, you should recognize that your preservation goals are not very far from those of nationalists and or separatists. Most wars in recent history have been the direct result of the need for preservation of a certain culture or the deliberate suppression of cultural evolution. Or in some cases, some cultures even seeking to eradicate others for capital gains. Hitler's World War II campaign was built upon such foundations. Hitler and his followers had a strong commitment to nationalist values and ideas. Nazism was first and foremost a nationalist ideology. It was concerned only with Germany and German interests, restoring the German economy, achieving economic self-sufficiency, rebuilding its army and providing for the German people. The Nazis had little interest in forming or improving international relationships, except to advance German interests. They detested diplomacy. They despised multilateral groups like the League of Nations. I mean, Hitler and his followers had no intention of honoring nor abiding by existing foreign treaties or negotiating new ones for that matter, except where it may help them fulfill their own German objectives. Sound familiar? One of the extreme results of this line of thinking is Hitler's goal of eliminating racially inferior groups in order to enhance the breeding of what he considered to be the superior race. Religiously motivated terrorism, tribal wars and genocides, racial and sexual discrimination and classism. They are all built on the need to preserve difference. They are the biggest barriers to human equality. I believe that human equality can only be achieved 
when we finally blend to the point of recognizing that we are humans first before any of those other things that separate us. And we must recognize and foil all attempts to strengthen the barriers to our equality as humans. I believe in globalization, and I believe globalization that results in the blending of all of the world's cultures is the most important step towards the consciousness that we all belong to one race, the human race. So we talked for about an hour and a half on this issue of cultural evolution and cultural dilution. In the end, I think MI and I were able to convince most people in the room about why cultural evolution is a natural process and not a bad thing. I really wish I could have included more sound bites from our discussion and of the various arguments, but the audio unfortunately wasn't always audible enough. Here are a few parts that I was able to salvage. So this, this is what I think about culture, right? Culture is is necessary, it is right? Necessary at certain times for certain reasons. And as soon as it no longer becomes necessary for the purpose, as soon as humanity moves past that purpose, it's going to change. And I think that what LD is talking about, like you have a point where now the problems of the world basically mirror around inequality and around separation and classism. Right. No, but, but, but the meshing of cultures attacks that. You believe that within this geopolitical setting, which historically is dominated by this Caucasian Anglo, this hybrid of Anglo-Saxons that came here, right? And slavery, they migrated here. At some point, they brought black people here for a purpose, to be cheap labor. And at some point, their constitution sort of did a catch-22 on them, and they were like, oh, shit, we, I guess we have to be citizens too. Right. And then they started having a conversation, which the neo-Nazis... Their whole premise is about culture, is that the two cultures shouldn't mix. It's from that argument that it ends up being a, like a, an immigration issue or a geopolitical issue. Absolutely. But the core of it is that the culture shouldn't mix. A white girl and a black boy shouldn't have sex. Correct. They shouldn't drink from the same water fountain. Correct. They shouldn't go to the same school. Correct. Their languages shouldn't mix. So do you agree with that? If, if, if a Yoruba man has the right to say, my children and my culture shouldn't mix with an Igbo man, then we're also validifying the neo-Nazis' claim that the Anglo-Saxon culture should not mix with any other culture. Thank you for listening to Nigerian American. This is the end of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) My dream is that one day, all of us as humans, no matter where we are on the planet, will recognize and acknowledge that The suffering of the child who has no food to eat in South Sudan is as important as that of the child in New York City, and that they are both equally human, and that we are all equally responsible for them. Thank you for listening to this episode of Nigerian American. I also want to thank M.I. for his hospitality that night. My cousin Femi, my friends Niola, Ifi, Yinka, and Tolu. Please subscribe and feel free to share this podcast. You can also reach us by email, NigerianAmericanPodcast at gmail.com. My name is LD.